welcome to the Anything But Quiet Time podcast sponsored by the good folks at Compassion International. Today, Carter is trekking down territory that usually is only for women. Yeah, I you know I decided that at the tea party a man might finally be invited. Oh, um, so no, I honestly today this is what where we go through what we're going through in our quiet times. And I decided the other day I finished Romans. I'm not particularly going through the whole New Testament all at once. I know Rochelle, we'll get to yours, and you're going through the, all the Bible you know in a row. Um, but Esther is a book of the Bible that I don't think I'd ever read for myself. I know Esther was important. I know she was a queen, but it seemed like in my church growing up, it was kind of reserved for women's Bible studies. And for whatever reason, the pastor, and at least that I remember, the pastor and the youth pastors didn't didn't get to it. I, for some reason. I don't want to call out your pastor or your church right now, <laughs> but that is the worst. It, it honestly <laughs> is, because do yourself a favor. I'm going to summarize it here, but do yourself a favor and look up the New Living Translation version of Esther. It is a quick and easy read. It's 10, 10 chapters. It doesn't feel like it because it is hilarious in oh, yeah. some parts. It is mesmerizing in some parts. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's, it's a fantastic story. And, and I don't. I was bummed before when I try to bring up Esther. You're like, eh, I don't really know. I don't, really, then, I don't really know. Eh. Well. What about Ruth? Are we going to get to Ruth sometime I'm with you? I'm going to have to get to Ruth. You're going to you know? have to get to Ruth. These are incredible people. I know. I know. I, mean, okay. I never doubted their character and stuff. I, just I went into my story. Jerry Seinfeld voice. Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? All right. So here, here's here's my summary of Esther. Okay. And in case you have trouble reading the Bible or maybe it's your kids or somebody has trouble reading it, this is a fun one to just follow along with. So here you go. All right, so King Xerxes, who you can actually see in the movie The 300, not that I necessarily recommend the movie, um, he threw this huge party, and during this party, he got his assistants to bring his queen, Vashti, over to him. Well, she totally snubs him. She's like, I'm not going over there. That did not sit well with the king, so he asks his advisors, all right, what can I legally do? And they're like, well, banish her and have tryouts for a new queen, and so yeah, that's what he decides to do. This guy, Mordecai, somewhere in the kingdom, has this young cousin named Esther, but he basically raised her as his daughter. So when Esther gets included in this tryout, kind of somewhat of a mandatory tryout, I you think. You know, I, I really feel like Simon Cowell, I thought, was the one who started all these types of things. <laughs> but it really started with Xerxes. With Xerxes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so she's totally killing it. Esther's totally killing it at this tryout. And she gets special treatment and beauty treatments and everything. But she didn't tell anyone that she was Jewish, as Mordecai said, don't do it. That'll come up a little bit later. So time goes by. Esther's now the favorite of all the wives. And Xerxes is like, you know what? You're queen. He puts that that uh, crown on her head. And, and even with this, Mordecai becomes a palace official. So more time goes by. Mordecai's standing at the palace gate and overhears a conversation between two guards. They're gonna they're planning to kill the king. So he he does the right thing and gives the info to Esther. She tells the king and gave Mordecai credit after an investigations, those two dudes were impaled. Yeah, all right. It wasn't don't, pretty. Don't be doing that. Don't why would you do that? At the palace. Why would you talk about what you're going to do to the king at the palace? I guess back in the day with no possible recording devices, you <sighs> thought you could just kind of be a little more open, maybe? You used to wonder how before DNA evidence people yeah. could figure things out. But when you're just doing things out in the open, <laughs> that's how they find hey, out. Hey, hey Bob, you, you still want to plan to kill the king, right? <laughs> uh, shut up. Uh, so sometime later, Xerxes promotes this guy, Haman. 
And if you're thinking, that sounds familiar, Hunger Games, well, it gets that crazy, I'll tell you that. Mm. Um, making him more powerful than anyone else in the kingdom. Everyone besides the king and queen should bow down to this guy. But Mordecai refused. That set Haman off. He found out Mordecai's nationality in the meantime, so he thought all Mort himself wasn't enough. He wanted to take it out on the Jews. So Haman approached the king, told him a certain race of people always separate themselves from everybody else. They have their own laws. So it's not the king's interest to let them live. And the king decreed it. This would take place the next year on a certain day where everyone in the kingdom could and should kill all the Jews. So Mordecai is totally bummed, to say the least. Mm -hmm. He's in mourning. Esther sends for him, like, what's going on? He says, here's, here's what the deal is. And Esther hadn't revealed to anybody that she's a Jew. So uh, Mordecai is like, okay, why don't you go ask the king to reverse this thing? And she's like, anyone that approaches the king without a request is sure to die. And Mordecai replied, don't you think you're not going to escape this anyway? You're a part of the people that are scheduled to die. Maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. So Esther replies, all right, let's fast for three days and then I'll go see the king. If I die, I die. So it happens. They, fa they all fast and she goes in at the right time. So Xerxes welcomes her. He even offers her a half of his kingdom. And it sounds like it's going to work out well. But she simply asks when, when he says, what do you want? She simply asks, will you attend a banquet that's planned for him, her, and Haman? So that day, Haman left for work in a super good mood, left, left work in a super good mood. But then he sees Mordecai at the gate on the way out. And now his good mood is ruined. So it's time. Let's make Mordecai disappear. He bragged to his friends and his fam when he got home and said, I've been promoted to anybody else. I got invited to a special banquet with just me and the king and queen. But he thinks it's worth nothing if he continues to see Mordecai on a daily basis. So his wife and his friends were like, all right, dude, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. Then you can go on and enjoy the banquet. So his, his friends and family are super encouraging. Um, they're not feeding into an ego at all. Uh, but that night, this is just where it gets crazy. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. He asked his assistants to read him some kingdom history stuff. And they just happened, of course, just quote, happened to read about the time Mordecai saved his life from that assassination plot. From Bob? From Bob! Yeah. And he, of course, that wasn't the real guy's name. He asked, did we ever do anything for Mordecai? And the assistants were like, Nah, we just kind of went on about our business. And right then, the king hears someone. It's morning time. Haman is arriving for work. And the king said to Haman, come on in here. What should I do for a man that has truly pleased me? Of course, Haman's thinking to himself, who would the king like to honor more than me? Mm -hmm. And Haman said, so if the king wishes to honor someone... He should bring out the king's royal robes, as well as a horse that the king has ridden on himself, and he needs to be led through the city square. Have the official leading him, shouting, This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor! And the king said, Excellent. Take those robes and that horse... To Mordecai. <laughs> you know, it's like the time the nerd has the uh, audacity to ask the popular girl out. And she's like, oh, I really like somebody, but what do you think I should do? And the nerd's like, yeah, you should just tell him. Perfect. Chris. And she looks at the football player. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it. And yeah. Haman had to be the one to shout the phrase. He's the guy that had to lead Mordecai. The best. 
It's, it's a great story. It's a great story. Yeah. So after it's over, Heyman went home as fast as he could. He's dejected. He's humiliated. He probably listened to emo music when he got there. <laughs> uh, and then his friends and wife said, you should give up. You're never going to win against this guy. But the banquet happens later that day. The king is super eager to find out what Esther really wants. She reveals she's a Jew and asks him to spare the lives of her people on this day that's coming up the next year, that day that's been decreed where all the Jews are going to die. And the king's like, what? Who would be as so presumptuous as to touch you? And she replies, there's <laughs> just three of them sitting there. She replies, this this wicked guy, Haman, right here. <laughs> he's our enemy. And Haman go, grows pale. He's the only one, that, the only guy sitting there. Yeah, because he's can, about to be impaled. <laughs> that's exactly right, Rochelle. You can hear the gulp, the crickets. The <laughs> king was so mad he went outside to get some air. So Haman stayed with Esther to plead for his life. And in despair... He falls on the couch that she's reclining on. You can imagine just maybe an awkward positioning just as the king returned. And the king says, are you kidding me? He, he would even go as far as to assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes. <laughs> so it seems like the king's trying to figure out what to do or more likely how to kill him. And I just, <laughs> I mean, this is terrible. Obviously, but it's just so comical. One dude steps up and says, hey, uh, king, here's an idea. Uh, Heyman set up this big pole last night, uh, super sharp, 75 feet tall. He was going to kill Mordecai on it. And you can imagine like, you know, Heyman going, shut up. What are you doing? And the king says, perfect. Impale Heyman on this pole. So that's what happens. Esther comes clean uh, to, to, so to speak about everything, how her and Mordecai actually related. She begs him again, will you stop this day of genocide? And Xerxes gives her that ring that Haman had that carries a lot of power and he says, all right, with that ring, you can make a decree of whatever you want. But unfortunately, anything that has been decreed can't just be undone. So she's got to be creative with whatever new decree she makes. So Mordecai helps. They put out a new decree for all the Jews in the land to rise up on that same day and unite against their enemies. So basically, the purge happens and crime is legal for a day. Yeah. So finally, the next year, that day comes and they do unite and take care of their enemies. They're even allowed to do it the day after that. And from then on, they were told, celebrate those two days with festivals. It was the time that God took care of them, that Jews stepped up together, and everybody in that kingdom was taken care of because of the actions of, of Mordecai, of Esther, and obviously of God. And so that's kind of the story in a nutshell. I'll have a couple of takeaways, but Rochelle, what comes to mind when you hear that story of Esther? I mean, I, I'm in agreement with you. It was always one of my favorites, still is, uh, the Mordecai thing. I mean, some would go, well, that's karma. Uh-huh, right. You know, God's like, well, <laughs> call it what you want. That's just called your comeuppance. That's what it is. <laughs> you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, and Mordecai just didn't know where he was sowing. And uh, it's an incredible story. What's really amazing is you can even link it back though, into the story of Jesus, because of Esther, because of her being a part of the Persian kingdom, um, she was a Jewish queen. And the magi that were present in the Persian palace would have known who Esther was uh, after that, certainly, and would have connected with um, the, the prophets from her faith, from her uh, following the Hebrew God. And so it runs all the way back even into Balaam, where things were being prophesied about the star. 
And you see how God ties it all together because eventually the Magi, when they, they keep collecting all of these documents, hey, this is what this means and this is what's going to happen. It was prophesied and they connect all these dots and they get eventually to Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born. They know what the star means, that a king is coming. And historically, we know that they would have had uh, access to these documents because of Esther's being the queen. It's just interesting. Well, there's a couple places in, specifically at the end, there's somewhere towards the beginning, too, of it, it references the historical documents of where this happened out, you know, outside of the Bible. A lot of a lot of people will uh, a lot of atheists really will will say you can't reference the Bible as a historical source. And first of all, I, I think you can. But but second of all, it's not just the Bible that references these things. There's all sorts of, of historical, you know, Xerxes was not a Christian uh, or a, a obviously a Jewish king. And so he has his historical documents that archaeologists will totally like see and believe, and it just verifies this stuff. Yeah. And there's there's three takeaways here. Uh, one is the the big one that you know everybody I think probably in in those women's Bible studies that I mentioned, you know, you were made queen for such a time as this. You know, it could relate to anybody right now. You were made to to be a Christian in a pandemic such a time as this. And God places you where you are. But I think two other things are, um, one is that don't get a big head, uh, if, like if you're Haman, um, that clearly you can be so prideful. We're talking about reaping what you sow. Uh, Mordecai reaped some good things and Haman didn't. And it speaks well of Xerxes, even though he wasn't necessarily a Christian king. And I don't know all the theological, like, is Xerxes in heaven or not? I have no idea. But the Bible, at the very least, it talks highly of him. It does not speak highly of Haman. <laughs> and you see the sin that pride can really turn into. He's going home. He's bragging to his family and friends. I'm all that and a bag of chips. And then, and then he gets impaled on the pole that he built for somebody else. Yeah. And so I, I think it's a, a fascinating thing. Um, but then also you look at the little things. That my last takeaway is it just so happened that the guy, the assistant, read the account of Mordecai to the king when he couldn't sleep one night. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, there are certainly some stuff, uh, stuff that happens in life that is that can be a coincidence. Like I'm, I just am sure of it to some degree. I don't, I, it's hard to put your finger on what exactly. One example for me is, I saw a song on a movie that I hadn't heard the song in years. And the very next day I happened to hear it on the radio and it wasn't a Christian song. And so I'm like, I, I mean, stuff can be coincidences, but if you really look in a lot of stuff, especially with where it leads and what it reaps, we were kind of talking about that. There is no way that is a coincidence that the assistant happened to read the account of Mordecai when Haman was coming in to tell the king, we should kill Mordecai. Yeah. <laughs> like that just doesn't happen like that. I don't know. I kind of go against uh, a little bit of what you're saying there, because I think that uh, I would argue there is no coincidence. I would, because if if God is involved in the DNA of petals of a flower that we will never discover on some mountain range in Timbuktu, you know, uh, and he thinks that this is something that is worth my time and effort, <laughs> then why would he not think that everything involved in the life of his most precious creation is important and of some consequence? And we may look at it as not necessarily going to change the direction of our life, 
um, that particular song that you heard that particular day didn't necessarily change the direction of your life. But it is interesting. And I think one day we will see when we're in heaven, we're going to see how he connected dots that we didn't even we thought didn't matter at all. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. There's going to be a lot more stuff that we just glazed over and didn't realize. Uh, but I guess I say that there, because and clearly God is aware of everything. God knew that that song would be on that movie and then, you know, on the radio the next day. Uh, I, I don't question God's involvement um, or uh, at least knowledge of it. Uh, but I, I I hesitate to just call everything that because I think we can certainly over-spiritualize. Oh, sure. Um, and I think that that coincidence i still believe that one was it 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 was meaningless it was no spiritual uh, benefit and so i i just caution to not go wow (laughs) because i have no explanation of that on why but i i do know that there are things that i have certainly glazed over and then look back and go Whoa, if God didn't do that, I mean, even like not getting a job, mm-hmm. for example, there's many times in my life, there are a couple times that come to mind of, wow, why didn't I get this? What am I going to do with my life? And then you see the reason why God didn't, you know, it wasn't in his will to give me that job because he had a better plan. And so certainly yeah. there are so many things that we'll look back on or even fortunately can now uh, and go, but God is is so involved. It's really cool. Yeah, he's very involved. Um, he certainly engineers circumstances for your knowledge and um, <laughs> with or without your knowledge, as we all know. Yeah. I didn't know what you were doing. Really? He's going to say in his yeah. loving, snarky way. I don't know if God's ever been snarky, but <laughs> uh, he's got a great sense of humor. So I, I would think that we're going to have fun when we get to heaven, just discovering things along the way, being able to honor him and glorify him and say, you are so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. How did you do that? Well, so, oh, my God. There's one more thing that comes to mind, and it's I think we do this in a there, there's a couple of different ways to look at it sometimes. And we I just be I just want to be cautious to not think that God with enough prayer or enough faith is going to deliver us instantly in the way that we think we should be delivered. Mm -hmm. Um, God uses many things. And I think this is a perfect example of the decree couldn't be undone. So there were still going to be people coming at them. So instead it was be on guard and you be ready to take care of your enemies it's not always a, um, a a happy ending, honestly. I mean, I'm I'm sure that what a difficult day that that still was. We're able to read it in, in hindsight and, and just in a couple of verses say, they defeat their enemies, boom! And, you know, it's just this uh, fanfare music going off. Yeah. But I'm sure that that was a difficult day. You think about even the things that we, we see a car wreck or in a car wreck, and we might need to talk to somebody professionally. And that's that's okay. That's That's great. But these people were at war. I mean, for that, those couple of days, imagine the horrors that they saw. And so it, we can really glaze over that too. And I, I just think when we apply it to today and we pray it, praying hard enough, isn't necessarily going to deliver us from something. We got to just see what God's will is going to be. Mm -hmm. Because there might be, um, it's interesting. There's scripture that talks about when Moses spoke with God, God was in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Clouds are not clear. They're foggy. Yeah. And so God was in the cloud? Really? Yes. He is not a God of confusion. He does not 
you know, he's not like one who's like, I'm going to set out today to massively confuse my son, Carter, and daughter, mm-hmm. Rochelle. And no, no, no. He wants you to see him clearly and keep your eyes on him or listen for his voice. My sheep know my voice. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that you will not have confused days, certainly. Sure. Um, but it, there is sure. comfort in knowing that he's in the cloud with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, so that, that, I'm really glad that you read the book and you got so much good stuff out of it. That's fun. I mean, again, you gave us some good stuff out of it. That's we awesome. Ta- we were talking about new, uh, t- different translations of, of what's going on, and, and mm-hmm. uh, a, an actual translation that is a little more modern phrased is the New Living Translation, and uh, I've I've enjoyed it so far. So. Good. Oh, that's awesome, Mordecai. Love that guy. <laughs> Just super chill. Oh my word! And I've seen it portrayed in movies before. I haven't seen one that I really really think has just nailed it yet. And they always depict, like, they recently, not so recently, actually. It was maybe a decade or so ago. They came out with a movie about the story of Esther. And that you're always going to get a different take on it. And it's never going to be exactly how you feel when you read the book. Because they made it a very, oh, it was very much a romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way they presented it. I thought, I yeah, you don't really get that from Not the text. Not feeling it necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was all yeah. about who's the hottest. I like her. Yeah, it's a very and obviously she portrayed herself well, but it, you don't necessarily get the. Um, there's certainly a um, uh, production to it in mm-hmm. terms of she can't just go to him anytime. Clearly, he was obsessed with her. Oh yeah, um, there was but, a quality there, and obviously it was an anointing of God. Yeah, on her yeah. life. That set her apart from the rest where there was no contest. And I've always wondered, you know, he offered her up to half of his kingdom. That's right. something that happens later in the New Testament. We read King Herod. He's undone by the the beautiful dancing of his, of all things, stepdaughter, yes. which yes. is gross. Like, oh, man, it's your wife's kid. It's- what are you doing? He's all like, hey, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. But nobody ever takes him up on that offer. You know? No, again, that is very true. What nobody in neither situation did did they have to give up half their king. I wonder what would happen if somebody it. said yes. Yes. Sure. Give Actually, me half. <laughs> I not only would like a banquet, but would you give me half your kingdom? Just to say. This is the equivalent of Jimmy Stewart going, What do you want, Mary? You want the moon? You want the moon? You want the moon? I'll take a lasso around and pull it down. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The biblical equivalent. (laughs) I love it. So you're talking about how when we read through the story, uh, the timeline seems to go a lot quicker than, you know, it actually probably went because we read years and years and years past. And this happened or we like you said, the word glaze over the events of this horror that took place and people taking other people's lives. And so there's great celebration for the Jewish people, at the same time, did God not care about those people mm-hmm. whose lives were taken? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so kind of want to touch on that. We're going through the stories um, in the Old Testament. It is a testament to how we can expect life to not go smooth. We just should never expect that. Yeah. And then if it's not enough to read through the Old Testament, then read through the New Testament. <laughs> And you oh, get yeah. the same bill of goods. It's it's just, yes, God is going to condition your heart. He is going to recreate you into a new person. And your perspective is completely going to be changed. It is a choice, sometimes daily, 
that you have to put on that armor of God that you can read about in Ephesians. It is a choice daily to eat the fruit off the tree of his spirit found in Galatians chapter five, which we shared in our podcast. We've talked about all this stuff, the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Um, And we're blessed the fact that we're on the other side of the New Testament. These people in the Old Testament did not get the pleasure of knowing Jesus. Yeah. They heard about him being prophesied. They were greatly anticipating Messiah. Um, Folks like Abraham didn't even really know that that was necessarily going to be the thing. They knew that somehow through my descendants, we're going to have victory. We're going to be saved in some way. It's going to be amazing. But even Abraham was kind of sketchy on those details, and he tried to solve some of his problems in his own way, and that backfired on him, as it always does on all of us. But uh, in kind of going through the last part of Genesis, the story of Joseph is just an incredible one. And his journey, we glaze over that real easy in movies and such uh, because we have to Hollywoodify it. If we don't, number one, people don't really want to see just a sad story. That's sad true. after sad after sad event where there's yeah. no redemptive quality. And if they do, it's it was at a film festival. That's where they went and saw that movie. <laughs> the, the indie movies that nobody, nobody wants Nobody really enjoys. It wasn't right. the epic movie that everybody yeah, but goes to. the artistic to. people go, wow. <laughs> with their beret on. Exactly. Wow. But Joseph, oh my word. And talk about the sins of the, the family. Just, man. Keeps circling around. Abraham's got a favorite kid. Isaac. Isaac's got a favorite kid. It's Esau. Jacob tricks his dad, which, I mean, that's a great story. What a good son. He tricks his blind father into getting the inheritance. Jake, I, saw, I saw a meme the other day. It goes along with somewhere in there. Uh, it's just this picture of a, like an old Bible cartoon. And it says, hey, Jacob, can I have some food? And Jacob, the cartoon Jacob replies, sure, only if you give me your birthright. And then it's Ron Burgundy saying, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. But where was Esau in his in his emotional state where he's like, oh, well, you know, this is ridiculous. Sure. <laughs> Give me that soup. Oh, no man. Campbell's soup has ever been that good. <laughs> ever. It's so, but that's a story. It's just, it's sad because Jacob from the beginning, he starts out this his his blessed life. God's planning on blessing these kids. He's told Abraham he's going to bless his generations. Why are you swindling people to get it? And then he ends up having to work extra labor for his his relative. He, he loves his daughter. Hey, let me work for her. It, sure, seven years sound good. Sounds good. The wedding night, he, he got swindled himself. Yeah. Turn about again, Mordecai would tell you. Fair play, Haman. Yeah. Uh, but... There's this incredible story where Jacob wrestles an angel in Scripture. And I've always been like, what did that even mean? But when you read the story about Jacob and you realize that his relationship was always rocky with God. You know, here's this person who just felt like he had to, to trick everybody to be blessed The the wrestling. I kind of looked it up. I was like, what does this even mean? It really symbolizes a lot. The wrestling, it probably, yes, there was a physical representation, very symbolic of what was going on in his mind. Mm-hmm. He was wrestling with God. Give me the blessing. I want this. This needs to be in my life. I don't know if I deserve this. God's like, I'm going to take care of you. He's on his way to see his brother Esau. God even told him, go see Esau. Well, they didn't leave on good terms. Not only does he steal the birthright, basically, with the bowl of soup, right. but then he also steals the major blessing. 
It didn't end well with their relationship. Esau is like, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob's like, I'm going to leave. So he's coming back and Esau, he's still afraid of Esau. Maybe Esau is going to kill me. God told him to go back to Esau. God told him, I'm going to be with you. It's it's going to be okay. I'm going to bless your family. Jacob still is like, I don't know. So he's wrestling in his mind. Mm-hmm. And it's not until the angel, when he sees it, he's not going to win is what it says. Uh-huh. And when you read that, literally, you think, wait, wait, God's not going to win this battle with Jacob. Maybe he's super strong. Jacob is super strong. No, it's like he's so pigheaded, so stubborn. It's not until the angel touches a place on his leg. That it suddenly it's like jolts him and he realizes God wants to bless me. It's not until he is wounded through the wounding, he discovers what blessing can be. Hmm. And that was just powerful. And I was hmm. reading about that online. It's like, oh, my gosh, let me discover what this means. So whatever that means for your own life. But through wounding, healing can come. We see that in the story of his favorite. There we go. There's another sin of the, the father's. Favorite son out of 12 sons is Joseph, and he lets everybody know about it because he buys him this really beautiful Technicolor dream coat. <laughs> right. And Android Lade Weber writes a song about it, That's lots exactly of songs right. about it. Yeah. And uh, his brothers can't stand that. Who could? Who would? You know? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, having a, a favorite around is annoying. Uh- <laughs> it's, it's annoying. And I'm, you know, Carter did such a great job in breaking down the book of Esther. Genesis, it's just story after story, account after account in reading the devious acts of the brothers and how you see it would lead them to a place where they would, first of all, they thought about killing him. Mm. Let's kill him. And then some of them spoke up. You can imagine the the subtext there, the the stuff that's never said in the scripture, like the conversations that would have taken place. Right. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable what happened after they threw him into this pit because they were going to kill him. No, we shouldn't kill him. The oldest was freaking out, like I just slept with my father's mistress. I I don't want to get in any worse with him. Let's not kill him. I mean, I don't even know what he was thinking, but we learned just sentences before this whole happened. That's what he had done. So his father's already mad. (laughs) Yeah. Why would I kill his favorite kid? That's not a good idea. Judah even said, hey, why don't we just sell him? I don't want to kill him either. Let's just sell him. And he gets sold into slavery. The rest of the story, in in a nutshell, he goes from one position of power to prison on false charges into another incredible position of power because of God being able to interpret dreams, getting him out of those circumstances. And then uh, his brothers come to Egypt where the only salvation for their family to continue comes through the hand of their brother Mm -hmm. who has this place of power in Egypt. This is incredible, incredible story. And probably just like the, the standout verse in the book of Esther is for such a time as this, the standout verse towards the end of the story with Joseph, what you intended as evil for harm, God turned and used it as salvation for our family. He used it for good. Now, how do I apply that to my life today? I got to be honest, Carter, I don't want to. I don't don't want to go through the harm part, the evil part. I want to just skid through and it just to be awesome. But look at the amazing uh, way that God provided for his people. Look at the incredible ways that he tied up loose ends and connected those dots like we were talking about earlier to get us to the place and transition to Moses 
And there's another hardship story waiting for us in the book of Exodus that I'm just starting on the plagues. And I think we need to talk about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart next podcast, because that's always that's another one that's confusing. That's an interesting one. Why did God harden the heart of Pharaoh? What is that all about? Did he harden the heart when we translate it? Is that what that actually means? And uh, in terms of like context, in terms of when we translate the the original text is what I'm talking about. But man, there's so much here. And I think just coming down to don't skip, don't skim over your own timeline. Know that you're going to have valleys, you're going to have mountains, and then you that mountaintop experience may be quickly followed by a valley. But God was with them through it all. God was faithful through it all. Jacob Jacob wrestled with the blessing, but God was still mm. even willing to wound him so that he would finally receive the blessing. He chose these people. He chose you and me. He loves you. He will not abandon you. It, it comes down to our dependence on God. And when you live in an affluent area— where nobody's got problems or everybody everybody always has problems, but everybody acts like they don't. And certainly the more money correlates with this, the more 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 money that a community have that an individual have has, it's easier to become your own God or mm-hmm. at the very least become totally in charge of your life, whether you're self-sufficient, you're self-sufficient. I'm you fine. don't need anything. Yeah. What, what are you dependent on? You can, uh, even if there's medical treatment needed, you can completely pay for it or whatever. And that's not just the Bill Gates. I mean, that's even down to the middle class. If you have decent insurance, I mean, you, all of us are able, uh, so many of us are able to, uh, financially take care of the needs that we have. And so when but, you live in a country like America, yeah, it can go to that place where why is God not prevalent in, in, in talk and culture on the Internet? Well, because people think that they can figure out all their own problems. And, and I think people in general, you were talking about the wealthy. And, I, I, you know, I didn't even share this with you, Carter, the other day. I have run into this same gentleman twice now in the same shopping center. I, I don't know where he lives in the area. Behind the stores, maybe he's homeless, clearly. And I had had a half a bottle of water and I was going to um, get rid of it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this gentleman is standing right there rifling through the trash. Mm-hmm. I said, sir, if you would like, you may have the rest of my water. Um, and I, if there was a conversation that followed or some signal from him that maybe some more could follow from me in like following up with him, he turned from me so quickly. It was almost my words had stung him or something like I had hit him. He winced and walked away. And the second time I I waved at him, I recognized him as the same individual and he looked away. And when I came out of the store, he had left and it was just a few moments. He He did not want interaction with people. It doesn't matter what stage of life you are in, what class, what level. Humans have always thought that they know best. They don't want to accept help when they have it so readily available, Adam and Eve had everything at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. They were told by God, what is good? What is evil? I will hold on to this knowledge for you. Make good choices and you will be protected. And they're like, no, I want to do it myself. Right. You know? Right. And it's so, I, oh, it's, it's so sad. We're all in that place, no matter how rich we are or how little we have. And just we clearly need God. And it's such a sad thing when we just deny that we do. 
It's so sad. And the way that we can come together and come around others as well is proof that God is so incredibly needed. I mean, through Compassion International, we're sponsored by Compassion International. It's time for Hope Notes anyway, but here's this organization that stretches its hand across the globe doing what Jesus asked us to do. Reach the nations for me. Let them know that I I love them, that I care for them, and that that pit that they feel they fall into from time to time, I'm in the midst of it with them. I am called hope. Just wipe the, the mud from their eyes so they can see. It comes down to basic needs that can be uh, be helped with uh, when you support a child. About $38 a month is what that comes down to. And for example, Jimena is 12 years old in El Salvador, and her mom, Claudia, worked each and every day to try to you know make ends meet for the family. And Jimena, with some health issues, was underweight as it is. So Claudia's mm. just working her tail off to make sure to get as much food as she can. Well, then here comes the pandemic. Claudia can't work anymore with whatever she was doing. She can't she can't go to work. And now now what's the family going to do? What is Jimena going to do when she can't have the food that she needs? She's already underweight. So here comes Compassion International with this uh, opportunity where they, they're uh, delivering groceries to different families that are in the program. And here you have this grocery bag that is delivered, you know, mm-hmm. once a day or once a week or whatever it was. And it's better food than what they were getting before. Uh, and so Amazing. not only was Claudia able to spend more time with the family, but then not have to worry about the stress. Sure. And Jimena is now gained some weight, healthier than she's ever even been before the pandemic started. Yes. Yes. You know, the gentleman the other day refused my help. And here are these folks who are in a similar set of circumstances. They're so desperate and, and needing help. But the difference is they're asking for it. And so I've I know that we're always plagued with with this desire to help and love others. Well, how do I do it? What can I do? Here is certainly an opportunity where people are like, I'm thirsty. Mm. I am hungry. And I'm sharing that with you. Would you help? And I, I, that's why I love Compassion International. And it is the basic needs. But then at the same time, Jimena's going to know about Jesus because yes. she's in that program. And whatever child, or it's not just El Salvador, it's all around the world. I've gotten the opportunity to go to Kenya before the pandemic started. And just the people, the kids, it's such smiles on their faces. They are so much healthier. They're able to go to school in, in some parts when uh, public education is poor or not, or not there at all. Compassion will provide the education. In other parts like Kenya, they'll provide the uniforms when a child is in the program so they can go to public school because that's the only requirement for Kenyan public education, but they can't afford the uniform. So then there's compassion. There's your $38 kicking in. And we'd love for you to just pray about this. Perhaps 2021, it's an opportunity to you know let generosity speak, let, let what the Lord's given you. Uh, go to somebody else in a form of $38 a month for a child somewhere around the world with Compassion International and HopeOnDemand.com. Of course, where you can find so many resources and old episodes of our podcast, but also you can find more info at HopeOnDemand.com. And thank you for listening thanks for being a part of the family we love you and um looking forward to that conversation next week about pharaoh it's good did he harden his heart this will be good or did god harden it for sounds like what a parent would say hey you're gonna like it or i'm gonna like it for you (laughs) (laughs) 